If you have your Bible, if you would please open it to Acts chapter number one. Acts chapter number one. You know, different sermons are designed to accomplish different things. Some sermons are designed to to help us learn something. There's some truth that we need to know, and so the sermon is designed to help us learn that truth. Some sermons are designed to help us to believe something, to build up our faith. We have lots of sermons like that, that God is in control, that God's timing is best, that God always gets the last word, that no matter what you're going through, God's grace is sufficient. And so there are many sermons that are designed, those are my favorite types of sermons, to build up our faith. Because if our faith is right, we're right. If our faith is strong, our peace is strong. And I love those types of sermons. Some sermons are designed to get us to enjoy something. People come to church on Sunday, sometimes they're burdened down with problems at home, problems at work, problems in their health, problems in, in the world, and they're discouraged, they're lonely, they're, they're down, and they come to church and we do a sermon, or maybe in your class this morning, a lesson on focusing on God, being thankful for his blessings, certainly being thankful that you're saved, that, that you know your sins are forgiven, you know heaven is your home, and you hear that, and you leave, and you say, he's right. I don't need to focus on the negatives. I need to focus on the positives. Look at what God has done. The song we just sang, what he's done. That's what I need to focus on. So some sermons are designed to help us enjoy something that God has given us. Some sermons are designed to help us avoid something. Maybe someone here today, even though you love God, I mean, you wouldn't be here if you didn't love God. But you're thinking about doing something that's wrong. Maybe you're thinking about beginning an affair. Maybe you're thinking about doing something immoral. Maybe you're just thinking about doing something and you know it's wrong and yet you've convinced yourself, well, I know it's wrong, but in this particular case, it's not all that wrong and maybe God will understand. And so you come to church, you hear the lesson in your class, you hear the sermon up here and God uses that to help you avoid something. So you walk out saying, I'm not going to do what I was thinking about doing. And that sermon would have been successful in that case. But today, the sermon is not designed primarily to help us learn something or believe something or enjoy something or avoid something. Today, the sermon is designed to help us do something, to help us do something, to help us get out of these pews, up, up off of these pews. Now, don't get up out of the pews yet. We're not finished. But eventually, to get out of the pews, for me to get out of the pulpit and for us to get out in the world and to do Something You say, John, what is the sermon designed to get us to do? It is designed to get us, to help us, to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that's the scripture. I hope you have your Bible. I hope it's open to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. These were the words Jesus spoke to his disciples just a few minutes before he ascended to heaven, before he went back to the Father These were his final words, some of his final words to his disciples. And here's what he said. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right here where we are. In Judea, beyond this place. In Judea, even a bigger sphere. And to the uttermost, to the ends of the earth and to the world. So Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I'm about to go to heaven. I've taught you many things to help you learn and to grow you in your faith. I've told you the sins to avoid. I've told you some things that you can enjoy in your life. But now, Jesus says, I'm telling you something that I want you to do When I'm gone, I want you to be witnesses to me. Now, what is a witness? In a court of law, what does a witness do? 
A witness doesn't necessarily argue the facts or argue the case or show off his intelligence or her intelligence. No. A witness simply tells what he has seen, what she has heard, what they have experienced. And that's what Jesus was saying to Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Nathaniel, Bartholomew. He's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world and tell people what I have done for you, how I have forgiven your sins, how I have saved your soul, how I have changed your life, and how I can do that for them. Now, it's interesting. Our English word witness comes from the Greek word martus, M-A-R-T-U-S. Uh, a martus, that's the, the Greek word for witness. We get our word martyr from the word martus. What is a martyr? A martyr is someone who dies because of their faithful witness for Jesus Christ. Now think of it, think of it like this. All Christians have been called to be a martus, to be a witness for Jesus. You have, I have, and all of us have. Some Christians have been called to be a martyr. They have been called to literally die because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's not something we pray for. That's not something you should say, God, help me to be a martyr for you. No. But if that should come your way, that would be considered the highest honor that a Christian could ever experience. To actually be honored by God so much that you would die because of your faith in Jesus, that you could give your life for Jesus physically in the same way that he has given his life for you and for me, martyrs. We're all called to be a martus, a witness to share with others. Some, because of that faithful witness, will end up being martyrs. All through the Bible we read, in church history we read. For example, in the book of Acts, Stephen became the first martyr of the church. Because of his faithful witness for Jesus, he was stoned to death. James, the brother of John, we know about the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. John, in Acts chapter 12, became the first of that group to, be, to become a martyr. Herod had him killed with a sword, probably beheaded is how he was killed. Peter became a martyr. Paul became a martyr. That's not, those aren't in the Bible, but church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome for his faith in Jesus. Paul was beheaded. Nero had him beheaded in Rome because of his faith in Jesus Christ. As we get into the first and second century, we see that Christians in Rome, some were fed to the lions, some were burned at the stake. They became martyrs for Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Last night, I was reading an article in Christianity Today, and it said that today, on any average day worldwide, 13 Christians will be killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 13 a day. If you do the math on that, and I did last night, that is 4,745 people a year. <clears throat> 4,745 Christians a year will die because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their effective witness for him. Now, we're not all called to that. If we are, we should embrace it with both hands and know that God's grace will be sufficient and know that when we get to heaven, we have a special reward. But we're all called to be a witness, to be a martus. Now, if you have your bulletin, I don't know if you picked one up coming in. I hope you did. But there are two main points that I want to make in this sermon this morning. First, about an effective witness. An effective witness cares. In other words, if we're going to go into our world, into the, look at these students over here filling up one section, another section, over half full, maybe three quarters full. 
And these students, as you saw from the baptism, I mean, they're inviting their friends to church. They're being witnesses. They're, they're being a martus. But if we're gonna join them in, in our world, in our sphere of influence, if we're going to be like that, the first thing we have to do is that we have to care. What is it, John, that we should care about? Well, first of all, we should care about what God has commanded us to do, about being obedient to God's word. Here, Jesus said to his disciples, you shall be my witnesses. In Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, he said the same thing a different way. Go therefore and make disciples. Sometimes when we think about being a witness, sharing our faith, you know, I think it's normal to think, well, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. That's something that a missionary is supposed to do. That's something that a minister is supposed to do. That's something that a preacher is supposed to do. Sometimes I've heard people say, you know, this thing about sharing my faith and talking to others about what God has done for me, I know it's important. I know I'm supposed to do that. But to be honest with you, that's just not my deal. Well, friend, listen. When Jesus commanded us to do it, it became our deal. <laughs> I mean, just like Jesus has commanded us to come to church today, so we're here. He's commanded us to tithe, so we do. He's commanded us not to commit adultery, so we don't. I mean, he, he's commanded us when we mess up to confess our sins, and so we do. Well, he's commanded us to be a martus, to be a witness. And so we have to say, you know what? If he's told me to do it, even if it takes me out of my comfort zone, even if it's not something I really have ever done before or even really know how to do, or I feel like I don't know how to do it, uh, I've got to do it because I have to be obedient to his word. Number two, we should care about being led by God's spirit. In other words, it's not just God's word that commands us to share our faith. Sometimes God's spirit will prompt us to share our faith, to, to share with another person. I had this experience recently. I, there's a, I'm not gonna go into the story, it's a long story. But a man has been placed on my heart who lives in another state. I've never met him. He's not an athlete. He's not an actor. He is very successful in the world of finance. And I have listened to him for years. His financial advice is excellent. But I have had it on my heart to share with this man how he could be saved. And I thought, well, I'll never meet him. I don't know how I'll do this. And about a month ago, it was just like God said, write him a letter. And I, I put it off and I put it off and finally about 10 days ago, I just sat down and I wrote him a letter and I said to him, listen, first of all, I want you to know how I've been blessed by your financial advice. This man's worth over $100 billion. And I said, I've been blessed by your financial advice. I've been blessed by how you manage and spend your money. And I've tried to apply some of your principles in my life. I said, but I heard recently in an interview that you said you're an agnostic. That not an atheist, but an agnostic who just says, I don't know whether there is a God. I don't know whether there is a heaven. I just don't know. And I said, I, I respect the honesty of your answer, but I want to share with you some of my story about how Jesus has changed my life. And I just did very succinctly, very shortly. And I, I don't know if he'll get the letter. I pray that he does. I, I pray he'll be receptive to it. And I pray I'll meet him in heaven. But whether I do or not, I did what I felt God led me to do. And we've all had those experiences that where we just, we feel the spirit has put it on our heart to share with another person, to invite him to church if we can, or to, to share what Jesus, see, that's what a witness does. A witness doesn't have to know the whole Bible. None of us know the whole Bible. A witness just has to know what God has done in our lives. And we just share that. Here's what God has done for me. I would say it this way. If I'm talking to somebody, God has forgiven all of my sins. 
And when I slip up and sin now, he continues to forgive me. God has given me peace. God has given me assurance in my life that, that when I die, I'm gonna go to heaven and I'm gonna be with God. And sometimes God will just put it on our hearts to share that with another person. Well, we don't wanna be disobedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I remember years ago, when I was living in Fort Worth going to seminary, this was back in the, like 1992, 1995. The Cowboys were winning lots of Super Bowls back then. And, and I was a big fan. And, but there was, a, there was a person on that team that God just impressed on my heart that I needed to write him a letter and tell him about Jesus. Just, you know, how he could be saved. If he was, maybe he was. I had just never heard this particular person say anything spiritual. And so I just wrote a letter, mailed it to Valley Ranch where the Cowboys were headquartered at that time. And I, I just told him, you know, what Jesus meant for me and if he's never received the Lord. Well, several months after that, I was talking to a friend of mine that I graduated high school with. I still stay in touch with this guy today. And I was telling him that story. He said, John, you're not gonna believe this. He said, but God put it on my heart to write a letter to the same man. I'm not giving out any names today. But he said, God put it on my heart to write a letter to the same man. And he said, I wrote the letter too. He said, when did you write your letter? I told him. He said, well, John, that was basically the same time that I wrote my letter. He said, in fact, about two weeks after I wrote my letter, I got a letter back from the Dallas Cowboys organization with a picture of that person. He said, did you ever get your picture? I said, no, I never got a picture in the mail. <laughs> your letter must have been better than my letter. My letter probably scared the man. Your letter encouraged the man. But I'm saying, isn't that interesting? Both of us had it on our hearts at the same time to write a letter to the same man and to say to him, if by chance you have never received Jesus, here's how to do it. Back in those days, there was a, a broadcaster that I loved and I, I loved to watch him on television. I loved to listen to him. But it, became, it was a burden on my heart. I've never heard this man say anything about God. I don't know if this man is saved. And it was like God said, write him a letter. And I wrote him a letter. And I knew that his team would be in Dallas for a big playoff game that weekend. And somehow, I don't remember how I found this out, but somehow I found out what hotel the visiting team stayed in when they came to Dallas. It was in Irving in Las Colinas, if you're familiar with that part of Dallas, a very nice part of Dallas. And the... All the media people stayed in that same hotel. So I found this out. I wrote this man a letter. I drove from Fort Worth to Irving. I went in the hotel. I went to the front desk. I said, I understand the visiting team stays here. Yes, they do. I understand the media stays here. Yes, they do. I said, look, if at all possible, could you please give this letter to this man? And it had his name right on it. And uh, it would mean a lot to me. And the man was, he said, I will do everything I can to try my best to get this man this letter. Did he get it? I don't know. Did he read it? I don't know. If he wasn't saved, did he get saved? I, I hope so. If he didn't read, if he read that letter and he wasn't saved, I hope he got saved. But the point is, whether he got the letter or anything else happened, I felt like I had done what God had told me to do. And so I'm saying today, if we're going to be an effective witness, we have to care about being led by the Spirit. And I know there are other times in my life God has prompted me and led me. And for whatever reason, I've not been as obedient as I should have. And God forgives us for that. But we should care about being obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Number three, we should care about the souls of unsaved people. You know, some of us have been saved so long that we have forgotten what it's like to be unsaved. 
But let me just remind you what the Bible says today it's like to be unsaved. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, it says that for the unsaved, here's how they live their life. They live their life without Christ, without hope, and without hope and without help. They don't have they don't have God in their life. In another place in the Bible, it says there is no peace for the unsaved person. Now, I want you to think about that. God's saying to us, here's what it's like to be unsaved. They have no peace. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have any peace in any area of their life. They may have financial peace. The man I mailed a letter to 10 days ago is certainly financially at peace. They may have peace in their marriage. They may have peace in, in their health or in some other, but when it comes to God, they have no peace. There is no peace, the scripture says, for those who are unsaved. For those of us who are saved, we have peace. What is it that gives us joy in our life? Pe- having peace with God. You know, as, as big of a sports fan as I am, I seldom watch an entire game. They just take so long, but I keep up with all the games, and sometimes I'll watch a whole game. But when I'm watching a game, I think this often. I'm sitting in my chair watching the game, and here's what I think. I think, God, I just want to thank you that I can watch this game in peace. My joy doesn't come from the game. My real joy doesn't come from who wins. I mean, I hope my team wins, but that's not where my joy comes from, the fact that as I'm watching the game, I have peace in my heart because I know that I'm right with God through my faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a real deal to me because I've been to a lot of games where I didn't have that peace. I saw some fine games, some big games, but I didn't have peace. And now I do have peace. And so I say, you know, now who wins, who loses is not that. The main thing is I have peace. And what the Bible is saying is what I have and what you have as the children of God, an unsaved person does not have. They have no peace with God. They lay in their bed at night. They look at the ceiling, they contemplate their mortality, they think about their own impending and pending death, and they have to block it out of their mind and think about something else and fill their mind with something else. Why? Because they have no peace. So think about this. In this life, the unsaved, without Christ, without help, without hope, and without peace. But as they look forward to the next life, to the afterlife, to eternal life, What is it? Now, see, this is what's got to drive us. This is what's got to motivate us to be an effective witness. We have to care about this, that unsaved people, if they die in that condition, will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Now, listen, friend, I would rather mention heaven and encourage you than mention hell and discourage you. But as one pastor said, I would rather... um, I would rather scare you into heaven than lull you into hell. Now, that's a pretty good way to say that. I was doing a funeral a few days ago, and in the service, another minister spoke, and because of the acoustic, because of where I was sitting in the the room, and because of the acoustics where we were, I couldn't hear everything of what they said. I did not get all the details of this story, but I heard enough that it made an impression on me, and so I want to tell you today what I got out of that story. And, and again, I'm telling, this is sketchy and I don't have all the details, but, she, but this particular minister was telling about a man in Africa who was unsaved and his friends and family had been praying that he would get saved and he was coming to the point of death and they were still praying that he would be saved. 
But he didn't get saved, he died. And so he died, there he is on his deathbed and people are gathered around. And so they began to pray. Now this is in Africa. Sometimes in parts of the world like that, how to say this, my belief and my understanding having heard from missionaries who come back from some, some of the more remote parts of the world is that for whatever reason, miracles seem to be more prevalent in some of those settings than they might be in the United States. Anyway, as, as the people were gathered around and he had died, his pulse had stopped, I mean, he was, he was gone. One person in that group spoke up and said, look, we all believe the Bible. We believe that God can raise the dead to life again. And we need to pray that God would bring this man back to life again. Now, I know this is a far out, this is a far out. I know we're in a Baptist church and this is a far out, far out story. But this person's telling this story. And so they began to pray. And they said, God, you have raised the dead. You raised Jesus. You raised Lazarus. You, you raised the widow's son from Nain in Luke chapter 7. You have raised the dead. And you haven't changed. And God, we're asking you, this man was not saved. Bring this man back to life and give this man a second chance to get saved. Well, after a few minutes of praying like that, that man came back to life again. His heart started beating again. His lungs started breathing again. And he came back to life. And when he came to, he was very frightened and very agitated and, and just freaking out and trying to figure out what's happening. And the people around his bed said, listen, calm down, calm down, calm down. Everything's okay. You died. But we prayed that you would come back to life and God has answered that prayer and you're alive again. And that man said, according to this story that I heard, that man said to those gathered around, he said, I could never thank you enough for praying for me because for the last few minutes, I have been in the flames of hell. Now, you can interpret that however you want to interpret it. And again, I don't have it all footnoted and documented. But I'm saying this, that story made a powerful point. And it was a powerful reminder to me that when a Christian dies, we go to heaven to be with God and the angels. When a non-Christian dies, they go to hell to be separated from God from all eternity. And sometimes we hear a story like that. And it did for me a few days ago when I heard that. It was like, it jolted me. And it reminded me that what God has called us to do, what Jesus has commanded us to do is serious, serious business. And if we as Christians, if this could sink in us that when an unsaved person dies, that's what happens to them. They go to hell and they're separated from God for all eternity. And so when Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was saying, listen, guys, we've got to go all over the world. You do now. And you've got to share this story and share my love and share my grace so that people can spend an eternity in heaven instead of spending an eternity in hell. And so I'm saying to you today that we should care about the souls of unsaved people. You still with me? Say amen. Now, the second major point today is this, and I'll be quicker on the second point than I was on the first point. But the second point is this, not only must we care but to be an effective witness, we must share. We must share with other people. It's not that we just have compassion. It begins there. You can't be an effective witness if you don't care. 
Because why, why would you? You don't care. But if you care, and I know we all care, we have to share. What is it that we share? First of all, we share who Jesus is. If a person is going to be saved, they have to understand who Jesus is is. He's the son of God. He's the only way to heaven. He is the savior of the world. He was crucified, buried. He rose again. He and he alone can forgive us of our sins. We have to share who Jesus is. I was trying to think, preparing this sermon, what is the best way for us to share who Jesus is? And an old hymn came into my mind, a Bill and Gloria Gaither hymn. Many of you will be familiar with it. Because he lives. And I got thinking about what that hymn says. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. I sang on Christmas Eve. I'm not going to sing today, okay, because uh, everybody was nice then, but I don't want to push that too far. So, but think, think about the words of because he lives. Because I think in this first verse of that song, it tells us what we need to know about Jesus to share with others so they can be saved. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon. An empty tomb is there to prove my Savior lives. That verse tells you much of what you need to know to share with somebody. God, Jesus is God's son. He loves us. He can heal diseases. He doesn't always. Sometimes he just takes us to heaven and heals us there. But he can heal. He forgives us when we ask him to. And he died for us and he was buried and he rose again. And so we share who Jesus is. The second thing that we do is that we share what Jesus has done for us. You share with another person what Jesus has done for you. The blessings he's given you. And I would encourage you when you share those blessings. I mean, hey. Every dollar we have came from Jesus. Every friend we have that's a good friend came from Jesus. Every family member we have came from, it's all Jesus. Share that, but focus on the inner spiritual blessings that Jesus has given you. I mean, just think about that right now. If you were gonna share today with another human being what Jesus has done for you, what would you say? I mean, how would you, what would you say? If somebody said to you, hey, you're a Christian, right? Yeah, I'm a Christian. That means you've got Jesus living in your heart, right? That, that's what a Christian, yes, that's Jesus in my heart. Well, now let me ask you this, they might say. What difference has he made in your life? Well, how would you answer that question? Again, I would say, man, peace, assurance, confidence that all my sins are forgiven. A, a promise and, 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 and a guarantee that heaven is my home. No fear of death, man. I mean, these are powerful things, and these resonate in people's lives. I mentioned Dustin Hopkins for the Cleveland Browns, played college football at Clear Lake High School. Collegiately, he played high school at Clear Lake High School. Then he went to Florida State, had a stellar career, Florida State Seminoles, drafted by the Buffalo Bills, played for several teams, now having a, he was with the Chargers last year, the Browns this year. Like I said, he was fixing to break Jim Brown's all-time single-season scoring record. Guy has a cannon for a leg, kick the ball a mile. But if you've ever seen Dustin in a post-game interview, he always says something about God. In fact, I saw him last year after a big game, he had won it with a kick in overtime, and he, said, he basically said, I'm so glad we won the game, I'm so glad that the kick went in. He said, but you know the main thing I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for who Jesus Christ is in my life. That doesn't help, that's one of our members. C.J. Stroud for the Houston Texans. After every game, his post-game interview begins this way. 
I want to begin by thanking my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There he is. There's our quarterback right there. And you say, well, yeah, anybody can say that after you win a playoff. Let me tell you something. He says that after they lose. If you followed his career at Ohio State and you saw that team last year, the Ohio State Buckeyes, in the college football playoff going up against Georgia and a shootout, and Georgia won that game. It was up in the 40s. I mean, it, a bunch of points were scored. Stroud played a great game, but he lost. Didn't get to go to the championship game. In the post-game press conference, they said, CJ, you played a great game, man. Y'all were that close to beating Georgia and going to the national championship, which they would have won. Now you've lost this heartbreaking game. How do you feel? What are you thinking here? CJ Stroud said, well, I'd like to begin by thanking my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says it in victory and he says it in defeat. Why? Because Jesus hasn't changed. And uh, I said, man, I hope we can draft that rascal. I hope the Texans can get him because he's good first, but he loves the Lord second. So just share with us naturally. Don't memorize 20 verses and try to quote all that. Or No, don't read some theology book or philosophy book and try to say it just right. No, just share naturally like Dustin does, like C.J. Stroud does. You know, I just want to thank Jesus for what he means to me. He's given me peace in my life. He's my anchor. Sometimes you'll hear an athlete say something like that. He's my anchor. Whether we win or lose, Jesus is, is unchanged. And that's a powerful testimony. And then you want to share what Jesus can do for them. You know, you don't want to just say to them, hey, what he's done for me, he can do for you. And all, I always try when I'm sharing my faith to share what it, my life was like before I came to the full assurance of my salvation. No peace, restlessness in my spirit, agitated sometimes, just, just not at peace. And, how, and people can relate to that because if they're not saved, that's what they are experiencing. Now, an effective witness cares and an effective witness shares. What Jesus has done for us and what Jesus can do for them. Now, I have had it on my heart for several months for us to have a special day here at the church sometime in 2024, early in the year. Call it a high attendance day. Call it a friend day. Come up with a cooler name than that. Just a special day, whatever day you want to call it, where we could have something different in our services that would make it easy or easier for us to invite our friends to church. Now, these students are inviting their friends to church every week, and, and we should be doing that too, and I know many are. But I felt like if we just had a special day where we could set aside for that and invite somebody in, and since we've had uh, some, R.T. Kendall was just here, I think we're gonna have James Brown from CBS back in the spring. I'm co pretty confident of that. We have another great preacher coming in a college president at the end of February. I was thinking if we could bring somebody in musically who could join like in the first service, sing with our choir, and in this service, sing with Chris and the praise team and the band. If we could just bring somebody in who would be different, who would be fun, who would be a sweet spirit, good to work with. And so we've talked amongst the staff about maybe this person or that person, this person or that person, this person or that person. And so on the first Tuesday of the year, we had our staff meeting, and at the end of the staff meeting, it was just me and Jimmy. Everybody else left, and it was just Jimmy and I. The two of us were talking, and, and um, we were just talking about this, this special day, about uh, who could we maybe have in. I said, 
Jimmy, I want somebody that you and Chris both like. I think Chris was on one of his trips with some of our students and he couldn't even be in the meeting that day. And Jimmy said to me, he said, you know, John, I'll tell you a name that I've been thinking of that our people would like. He's been here before. He sings with the Gaither vocal band, so he's, he's not shabby. His name is Adam Crabb. And he said, Adam Crabb could come and sing with our choir in the first service, sing with Chris and the band in the second service. He just musically, there's really not many people, any, I don't know anybody better than him. And he loves God. It was even more important. I said, well, you know, I had thought about Adam Crabb, but I just figured that the Gaithers were, you know, they do their tours on the weekend. I just figured that on that weekend, they would be in some other city doing a tour. And Jimmy said, well, I looked it up. And on February the 11th, that weekend, that Super Bowl weekend, by the way, is why I wanted to have it on February 11th. It's, you know, he said, the Gaither vocal band is not in tour anywhere that weekend. I thought to myself, that's because Bill Gaither wants to watch the Super Bowl, right? That's why. <laughs> they should have been in tour in Las Vegas because that's where the game's going to be. He said, John, I think that would be good. I don't know how the best way to reach out to him. I said, well, Jimmy, I'd be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't know how to reach out to him. But he and my brother years ago became friends. And I'm going to just called my brother and asked him. So I called Joel. Hey, could you reach out to Adam Crabb and just see, take a long shot. Just see if by chance he could come to Texas and sing in our two services and help us make February the 11th Super Bowl Sunday. Extra super so we can have a special emphasis. Five minutes later, Joel texts me back. Confirmed. Done. Adam Crabb coming to First Baptist Pasadena on Super Bowl Sunday to sing in both of our services that day. So I'm excited about that. And it just will make the service, and you know, we're going to give him that day. I'll tell you something else, it'll make you clap even louder than that. We're going to have about 40 minutes of music that day and about a 15-minute sermon. Hey, like that, that ought to make everybody happy, right? You didn't literally have to clap. That was, I was just being nice. You could have said, no, please, John, more preaching, more preaching. But I know your true feelings. I don't blame you. I'd rather hear Adam Crabb sing than me preach any day of the week. But what I'm saying is, hey, it's just a Sunday. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Biggest sports day in the world. There'll be a game in Vegas that night. I'm hoping it's the Texans and the Cowboys. I've two I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for that. I'm hoping for that. Y'all were clapping for the Texans. I know there were no Cowboy claps out there on that. But let me tell you something. A few, a few. I, don't, I mean, that'd be a great game. Let me say this about that. There will be a Super Bowl in Las Vegas at 5.15 Central Standard Time on February the 11th. Here's bottom line. Somebody will win. Somebody will lose. And the next day, for all practical purposes, our lives will go on unchanged. <laughs> unchanged. I don't get a cut of pay from any of those players. I mean, it's not gonna change my life. But if some people came to church at 9.30 that morning or 11 o'clock that morning and heard the gospel message presented in music and in spoken word and the Holy Spirit convicted them and they got saved, friend, their life would be changed forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that's what we want. That, that's what I call, <laughs> that's what I call a super Sunday. And so I'm asking you to mark February the 11th on your calendar. I, I, I'm, I'm, first of all, we should be in church every Sunday, not just on that Sunday. And we should invite people every Sunday. But it's something special. And we may, uh, and we'll talk more about that. Now, hopefully when you came in, 
you picked up one of these little cards. I know somebody. Did, it, did anybody get one of these cards? Did, did, people, did anybody get one of these? We had them sitting out there by the, out there somewhere. Oh, they were in your bulletin. Okay, good. They're in your bulletin. So hopefully you've got one of these. Now here's what I was going to have us to do. And logistically, it's just not possible. I was going to have us to take a moment to look at this. I know somebody. And for the next few weeks, I will pray for this person, for these people every day. And I will invite them to come to church with me on Super Bowl Sunday, on February the 11th. And what I wanted to do was to have like baskets all over the different sections and we could just come and drop those names in those baskets in a spirit of prayer, in a spirit of commitment and give those names to God. I think logistically that would be a tough thing to pull off. And you know what? I'm not even sure that's the best way to do it because if you put this name in a basket, you're not gonna take it home with you. I'd rather this name be on your refrigerator or in your Bible or on your nightstand so you could see it every day and be reminded. You know, somebody said, some of the, one of the best, I don't remember who said this, but somebody said, before we ever try to talk to another person about God, we should first talk to God about that person. Because when we talk to God about that person, that sends the Holy Spirit to work and he begins to work on their heart and he begins to soften their heart and he begins to make their heart receptive. So that when we go to talk to them about God, we're plowing up tender soil. I'm gonna ask you, beginning today, well, first of all, let me ask you this, and I think this is gonna be most all of us will raise our hand, but I wanna do it anyway. How many of you would say that you know somebody, now, whether they're saved or not, only God knows, but you know somebody who doesn't go to church anywhere? Would you just raise your hand? Okay. So what are we doing for the next three to four weeks leading up to Super Bowl Sunday? We are standing in the gap for that person. God said back in, in Old Testament times, before he sent a judgment down on the people, he said, I looked all across the land to see if I could find anybody who would stand in the gap and pray. But I didn't find anybody. Now, for those people that we just raised our hands for, let me ask you another question. Who besides you do you think even might be praying for their soul? Who beside you? It may be that from a human perspective, you're the only witness, the only martus standing between that person and an eternity in hell. And so God says, I've raised you up to be an intercessor and to pray for their salvation. And then a, a week or so before that Sunday or two weeks before, say, hey, on February the 11th, Super Bowl Sunday, we're having something special at our church and I'd love for you to come and be a part of it with us. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed today, we don't have the baskets. That would have been meaningful in one way and, and maybe in the future we could do something like that. But today we have our hearts and we can make a commitment without a basket. 
And so today, that person that you were thinking about when you raised your hand, would you call that person's name to God right now and say, God, I pray for and put their name right there in that blank. God, if they're not saved, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin convicting them. I know you already are, but in a deeper way. And God, I pray that that person will not rest until they get saved and make peace with you by receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Just pray for them. It's just like in, there's a sense in, in, through this prayer time, we're just asking God the Father to dispatch the Holy Spirit to go ahead of us, ahead of our invitation to church, to tender their heart, to ready their heart, to prepare their heart so that when we invite them, they would be receptive. And I'm asking you today to join me in making a commitment that beginning today until February the 11th, so it's less than a month, that we'll pray for that person or for those people. My mother told me in the first service, she said, John, I have two on my list. And you may have more than one. But that you would make a commitment now to pray for that person between now and Super Bowl Sunday. Now today, I've not preached a sermon about how to be saved. I have preached a sermon today about how those of us who are saved should care enough to go and share with others how they can be saved. And yet, the Holy Spirit, you know, the old song says, God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and walks across the storm. It may be today that God has taken my words and his word from the Bible and convicted you that you need to be saved. Listen, you don't have to have a sermon on salvation to get saved. I have a friend who used to pastor in Arizona. He told me he preached one Wednesday night about being kind to your animals and 19 people got saved. The power's in the word of God. It doesn't have to always be a full-on sermon about salvation. The power's in the name of Jesus. The power's with God's people and the power's in God's house and the power's with God's spirit today, speaking to your spirit. And if you say, John, I don't know for sure that I'm saved, pray this prayer. Settle that now. Don't leave this place like that. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Change me from the inside out. In your name I pray.